Welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast about buying vast libraries of books so you can just finish yours. I'm Brandon. And I'm James. And today we'll be talking about reading games for the first time while keeping hacking in mind. I have not played any games lately, okay. but I have been spending a lot of time with the 5th edition books because oh, yeah. we are doing some planning for our podcast mm-hmm. and I am also going to be in a um I'm going to be in a 5th edition game from with some people from work. Oh cool. Which will be really interesting because I'm going to be one of the most experienced people there. Nice. Um, the guy who is GMing is new to GMing. He's he actually hasn't. I don't think he's played a pen and paper game before. So this will be not only his first experience playing a pen and paper game. We it will also be his first experience playing a game yeah. at all. Oh, that's um, really cool. So that will be interesting. And actually, the first, the first. Oh, so <laughs> as as all of these things go. So he planned for for to, he invited a ton of people because he wasn't oh. sure how many people were going to oh, be good. able to show up. Feast and, or famine. And so. Uh, the idea was we will have like a sort of a rotate. We're going to do kind of an adventuring guild type deal. Right. Yeah. And um, you will have like, so whoever can show up can show up and then you mm-hmm. and those people will be involved and the people who aren't aren't involved. And unfortunately, I think like everyone <laughs> agreed to show up on the first day. So we're going to split into two tables and one of the other guys is going to run a just a, a module or something. Great. In a second table. But we'll cool. hang out and play some D&D and a whole bunch of people who are new to it. We'll play some D&D, and, and I will get some actual practical experience playing 5th edition <laughs> before we start doing it for our podcast. And I expect that you'll be going in being super narrativist and describing everything from your character's clothing to what yeah. your spells look like. Yeah, I'll try. We'll see. I'm probably playing a wizard, I think. I kind of said uh, I have a lot of experience doing this. I'm kind of interested in playing a rogue because I don't do that a lot. But if there's something specific that you want me to do, I'll do that. And they said uh, play wizard because they're a little bit more complicated. And a lot of the newer players are going to play fighters and stuff like that. And I said that makes sense. So I'm going to probably play some kind of a warlock. Okay, so I really need you to promise that you'll describe all of your spells in great detail. I'm going to try. Okay, good. Glad to hear that. Yeah. So I, I recently played a little bit of masks yeah. on our stop hack and roll discord, which is such a fun little group. And it is the beginning of earth seven, four, seven. Yeah. Uh, which is stop hack and roll. Okay. Yeah. Why? <laughs> because it's our initials. If you do it on a phone. So, uh, ah, okay. SHR makes sense. Yeah. And that's how Marvel numbers their world basically. And so uh, it was a really good time, and I'm looking forward to doing more masks and having that same kind of rotating character thing. There's a couple of really great rotating uh, character masks games that are going on. I'm kind of hoping to try to find a way to make it available in some way uh, for people to listen to or watch or something like that. But we'll get there when we get there. So I have been doing so because I've been I've been reading fifth edition. Yeah, um, I've been doing a lot of reading that book for the first time. Well, well, I did. I read it for the first time once, and then I read it again. Right, you're reading for it the first for the time. first time again. Um, and and I've been I've been trying to recently in the sort of downtime of not playing a lot of games, mm-hmm. um, go through my backlog of games and that I've purchased. 
and read them. Right. Because <laughs> I have, because like, like many gamers, I have a bookshelf full of Kickstarter games that I've purchased and meant to read and would love to play, but haven't had the time yet. I, I love that the bar has been lowered from I have a bunch of games that I haven't played to I have a bunch of games I haven't read. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I have a bunch of the games that I, especially things like like Seventh Sea, yeah. Second Edition. I, I've like lightly read into some of the mechanics that I was interested in. I followed the Kickstarter. We played the first game, so I wasn't like I kind of I kind of know what's in that book, and so I wasn't like diving into reading that book super quickly because okay. I kind of okay. know what's gonna be there. Fair. But it's time to like get around to it, and like I've been sitting on this uh, Cipher System book. Uh, meaning to read Cypher because it's an interesting system and I love Darcy and Troy's Cyphercast. It's such podcast. a great podcast. I love that cast. Um, and they make the game sound really interesting. And uh, from what I know about it, there are there are, there are a lot of there are a lot of because like, I'm a weird game mechanic collector because obviously <laughs> we do a lot of hacking and so one of the so I like I like to find mechanics in other systems that do the thing that I'm trying to do in whatever game I'm trying to do. Yeah. And I like the way that, that Cypher does some things. And so I've been meaning to read it, get a sense of how that all works. And so that's one of the things I've been working on recently. Yeah, I, I also need to learn more about Cypher systems so that I can more effectively convince Darcy to run a Cypher system game for me. Because I want her to run Numenera for me. I don't think that will take a whole lot of uh Yeah, it's more, more to do with like... Uh, positioning in yeah. time and space yeah. than anything else um and so one of the things that it got me thinking about recently is exactly what i was saying about reading reading and finding the mechanics that you're interested in and then using those for in other games as we were throwing out ideas for episodes and and reading these books had been on my mind uh i started thinking about um the idea of reading books for the first time with an eye for hacking yeah. Because clearly that was what I was doing. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and so I kind of, as I have been reading through some of these different books, I've been taking some notes on what I do. And I thought that it would be really interesting for me to share that with you. And yeah. see how much of that is similar to what you do and see if you do things differently than I do. Because well, probably we do. Well, it's funny because I've, I actually have a couple of books that I'm reading right now and rule sets that I'm looking at. That I'm trying to steal things for Pasión de las Pasiones. Because I've got some of it written, but I need to write a whole lot more. Yeah. And so working out some of the scene framing, especially, I've been uh, really diving into a couple of books. Mm -hmm. So I kind of have, I've kind of broken down the idea of how I approach reading a game for the first time. if I, Especially for books where I know that I'm going to be thinking about the mechanics to pull out. Right. To use for something else. And it kind of breaks down into three phases. Okay. Um, and and so and and that like sort of makes it sound really formal, but it's really not. Um, and so they sort of break down into an initial read through where I'm not even really reading super closely. I'm I'm skimming the game, looking at I'm pretty pictures, looking at the pretty pictures. I'm trying to get big picture. What does this game do? Okay. And. A lot of games is very simple. Like you look at Seven C and you can tell from the cover, it's about pirates. Yeah, and and then as you flip through, you can look at the title and know that it's about pirates. Yeah, it's called Seven right, C. Right, right. <laughs> but you can, and, but then you can flip into the book and you can see the pictures. You can see the kinds yeah. of words, the names of the mechanics, those kinds of things. 
and you can tell that what it's doing is it, it wants to tell swashbuckling pirate stories. Exactly. Not like, let's hide in a corner and like plot our piracy and then like yeah drive out in ultra realism in our pirate ship and shoot at these you wouldn't download a galleon no um, and so and so so I'm, I, the, my first time i'm reading through i'm skimming through i'm looking at the i'm looking at the way the layout of the book i'm looking at the way it's presenting itself i'm looking at the what are the what are the chapter titles what are the the big sort of like what are the um what are the pillars of the book? Right. What does the book pre- present to you first? Right. Um, a, a big one is uh, a lot of books, sort of to some extent all pen and paper game books, take the stance that they have to assume that you don't know what a pen and paper game is. In What's case a it role-playing is. game? Yeah. And so the way that... I mean, and, and, and I think a lot of people who are gamers who have played a lot skip past those. Yeah. But I find them fascinating because that's the game author telling me what they think is important about what a GM is. Right. And that's what true. is the GM's role in the game. Yeah, that can give some really big ideas of what is going of who has authorial control with the game. Yeah. So like a lot of the more OSR games will old school renaissance will say things that describe the GM as a judge mm-hmm. and an arbitrator and making making up rules and like you know these are these are the rules in general but the GM makes rulings that make a difference mm-hmm. and you'll never see that in a really hardcore story game because story games almost never go for rulings yeah and so sort of the way the way that any game presents the sort of core things that we as tabletop gamers take for granted are very interesting to me, right? Because because again, they tell a bigger story about the way the the way the the book and the author and the game are presenting itself, and so you can kind of look through and like if it immediately jumps into here's how combat works, yeah. Well, then you know that the game, to some lesser or greater extent, is about combat. It's going to be there's going to be conflict, there's going to be adventure, and you're going to need to like any, pretty much anytime you sit down to play, you're going to need to resolve physical interactions with each other like that. Absolutely. Versus if you sit down with masks, some of the first things that it will present you with are some information about powers and then like a lot of the social interactions. Yeah. Um, I think like the first thing at the top of uh, a lot of, of every urban shadows character sheet is like, how do you like, um, what are those? The, the it's, it's the, um, Oh, you think the drama like, moves? Yeah, there's like drama moves, there's oh, intimacy okay. moves. Those top, yeah. the tops of the sheets have those things, and so like you're sitting there, and and yes, your character sheet has the rest of the moves, but if you're looking at that that first sheet page, that is the name and the description of the type of archetype that you're playing the playbook. You've got those intimacy moves right in your face all the time, right? Which like, says something about what the game wants you to think be thinking about when you're playing. Yeah, in masks, one of the first things that you see is your moment of truth. Yeah, and. That moment of truth is basically what you are striving to be as a young superhero. So that's mm-hmm. really cool to get mm-hmm. that idea in your head right then. And and all of that works towards a point of you you need to understand what the game is trying to do. Right. Really when you're list, when you're reading any game, but in particular if you're working on pulling out mechanics then you need to understand what those mechanics are trying to do. What is what is the designer trying to reinforce? What are they trying to 
to emphasize with those mechanics. Right. And how can you pull those into your game to emphasize as well? And so some of that can be um, where it's placed, how prominent it is. Is mm-hmm. it in a sidebar? Do they mention it? Is it there? Is that like is it like a good chunk of the first chapter based off of that or focusing on that? Um, is there a huge title section for it? Is it just a subtitle? Is it just a paragraph in something else? And, and and like how much does it stand out? And the, and and like those first chapters in game books are kind of really interesting to me. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. It kind of tells you what direction the game is going to go in. Yeah, there's a lot of signaling that goes on mm-hmm. in in game books, more so than people think. Yeah, assuming that the game has characters, right? Which, which I'm laughing, but there are games where you don't play one character. Yes, there um, definitely or, are. But assuming you all have a character, sort of yeah. that style, because I've been reading Cypher and, and 5e a lot. Right, um, yeah. What I look for next after sort of just big picture stuff, but still in this first pass, mm-hmm. is what do you do as a character? Okay. How do you do those things? Yeah. And then how does your character change? Okay. So... Does your character have skills? Mm-hmm. Do they have a list of things that they are good at next to a list of things that they aren't so good at? And do those numbers tell you how to roll a dice to do something? Do you have a list of moves that are narrative descriptors of what you can do? Mm-hmm. Do you have um, your descriptor sentence in Cypher that right. says, here's what type of character you are and here's what you do? How do you do things? How do you... how? How do you take actions? Because, because again, to a lesser or greater extent, almost every pen and paper game is about playing a character, taking actions. And so in the same way that the layout of the core rules tell you a lot about what the creator was saying, the way that you take actions tell you a lot about what the creator intends for you to do with those characters. Right. And also just the way that actions are resolved also can mm-hmm. make a huge difference. Um, just to kind of put three examples right next to each other, in Dungeons and Dragons, when you attempt to do something, you're rolling to see if you did it. Yeah. In Fate, you're rolling to see how much it affects the current situation. And in Hot Guys Making Out, you aren't rolling it. You are either the competent character or the incompetent character, and that's how it is. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter mm-hmm. whether you're successful or not. One of the characters is supposed to be dashing and in control and successful and the other one is supposed to be adorable and bumbling yeah and so definitely in that first run you're not you're not getting tied up in the um like how big are your stat modifiers do you have do you have saving throws you're not looking how does grappling work yeah you're not looking for that you're just seeing is there a grappling rule because if there's a grappling rule then maybe the game intends for me to grapple if there's a making out rule, then maybe the game intends for me to be a hot guy making out. Yeah. And and that is that is important for me to know. If, if there's a making out rule, it's clearly about the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. How, um, what else would it be about? And the next thing is, how do I grow as a character? How do I right. change? What changes me? In, in D&D, it's... You ha- you fight monsters, mm-hmm. you undo traps, you explore an adventure, um, and you gain experience points for defeating monsters. Yeah. And so that game is saying, here's what you should do. Go seek out monsters, do these skills and the attacking, and then kill the monsters to do to get better at it. Right, and even and also 
take their stuff. And take their stuff. Because taking their stuff is also a huge part of becoming more powerful yeah. in D&D. &D. Versus something like... Dungeon urban, World? Well, I was going to say Urban Shadows. Okay. But Dungeon World, we could talk about Dungeon World. Um, well, Dungeon World is great because it's just such a parallel example. I just don't know how that works. Well, super I've well. got you. Okay. Uh, in Dungeon World, if you roll a 6-, minus, which is a miss, then you get an experience point. Okay. Uh, additionally, at the end of each session, you get experience points for reaching certain milestones. For example, facing a big foe, mm -hmm. gaining some interesting knowledge, uh, and getting a treasure. So it tells you the way that you advance, the way your character becomes more of your character, is by defeating monsters that are scary, getting cool treasure, uh, discovering secrets, but most importantly by failing. Yeah. So it really encourages you, as your fighter, to... Really or, put it out there yeah, and like, take risks. Be the wizard and take a swing at somebody mm -hmm. because it's only going to make you better. Yeah. And and the other, and the, I guess the third example I was going to give was Urban Shadows where you, you have your corruption track where it's saying when you indulge in the thing that makes you darker and more yeah. dangerous, then you become better at that and you become more darker you become more darker, darker, more darker, and dangerous, sir, and um, and wink, and you, uh, and 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 then and then it, and it spirals out of control, and that's how you change, right? And, and so you may want to resist that kind of change because it takes you down a path that ends with your character going away yeah. or becoming an NPC, but it is how you get stronger and how you change and. And it's not just where in progression in D&D &D is your character gets stronger and more like what your character does. A lot of the classes or a lot of the playbooks in Urban Shadows, as they take on more corruption and more of those corruption moves, they'll change and become more corrupt because you're more likely to accidentally trigger those corruption moves and spiral down that slippery slope. Right. And Urban Shadows also has a more traditional sort of advancement system based on um, talking to people and working with people in all the different factions. But in a broad sense, also, how you advance and what you advance towards mm -hmm. makes a huge difference. If you look at D&D, &D, when you hit level 20, it's like, okay, are you going to go start fighting gods now? <laughs> and in... <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. Probably. There's stats for them. Yeah. And in most of the Powered by the Apocalypse games, when you hit max level, your character retires. Yeah. And they're done. Like, um, Masks is my favorite, that you hit a certain level, you get a certain amount of advancements, and you're a paragon of the city. You're no longer a teenager. And that means you're no longer a mask character. And that mm -hmm. becomes means you become an NPC. And maybe you can play later in um, uh, one of the adult superhero games there's like several and i can't bring them mm -hmm. to mind but champions not anymore yeah um and so i think that there's sort of like there is a there's a big picture version yeah. of that which is f upgrading up leveling up and changing through failure and and collecting corruption versus experience points for killing monsters which are big broad you can kind of throw those games into two big categories. Right. I'm, I'm gesturing wildly here, the, but the, the, the games, people in the podcast can't see that. The games that are exclusively powered by murder yeah. versus the games that aren't. And I'm yeah. not throwing shade on D&D &D there because I actually yeah. love D&D, &D, but it is, 
exclusively powered by who you're going to hunt yeah. down and kill. As opposed to powered by the apocalypse. Which potentially isn't. <laughs> and you don't actually get experience for killing um, people. But 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 you can there I think there were finer details there. Absolutely. And and I'll come back to, to Cypher again. That's that is an interesting one, right? I don't know a ton about it. Yeah. I only know what I've heard from Cypher speak. It is sort of at its core, it's a D twenty system. You have skills, mm-hmm. you roll a D twenty. Uh, there are a lot of that's like really not giving it a lot of credit because there's a lot of things that are different between it and D D. But it has the same you gain experience points and you spend yeah. those experience points to level up and yeah. increase your character. It's just that in in Cypher, you're not gaining those experience points by killing monsters. Okay. You're gaining those experience points by uh, the GM is intruding into the game, kind of in the same way that fate you gain fate points by uh, whenever the the GM or the um, oh okay whenever the GM compels you yeah like, like that's a, kind of any sort of Benny's system yeah that that's very similar to the the um, I think because I think about everything like fate but that's sort <laughs> of what the GM intrusion system is right the GM gets to say this bad thing happens or you should do this um, and you are offered experience points basically as a as a reward for that or and and then there's sort of there is a transactional system where you can say oh, i don't really want that to happen to my character right now yeah so i will spend an experience points to deny that from happening okay um but but it's basically you're letting you're letting the gm build a narrative and uh there's one other way so so there's sort of a there's a there is a secondary system that is not involved in that sort of fate point economy style gain where when the gm sort of determines that you have made a great discovery or gone out of your way to like go down that that hallway to figure out what was there and and you've found the rare artifact that is also worth worthy of XP, reward. Okay. reward. And I yeah, think that's something like that, kind of like what I was saying with Dungeon World. Yeah, and, and that is something that 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 and I think I think my, my point is that is something that a GM in D&D could do. Yeah. But it is explicitly laid out in Cypher that the GM is supposed to give out experience points for making discoveries and and taking risks and looking deeper into things. And I think almost more important than that, you're explicitly not giving rewards for killing a bugbear. Yeah. And so that says, which is interesting because that does conflict with the fact that Cypher does like present you early on with a combat system. Yeah. But it tells you that those combat, that the combat that you are going to encounter is there to make the adventure more dangerous, more thrilling. But the thing that you're doing is is you're looking for things, you're making discoveries, you're exploring the world, and that world around you is dangerous. Yeah, as opposed to the D&D idea, which is more you are going and fighting monsters and getting treasure, and you're using the excuse of the Baron's daughter being kidnapped mm-hmm. as a way to propel you between those different encounters. Yeah. And so for, for... Which again, that totally sounds like I'm hating on D&D, and I yeah. promise I'm not. I love 5th edition especially. And so my point is that four systems that are like, like Cypher, like I said, Cypher and D&D are both D20 systems, mm-hmm. but there is a fine line of difference between them. And so thinking about those things, thinking about how you change, thinking about how you gain experience is important because... If the game is designed well, which I always kind of go in assuming that games are, then they they will use their game mechanics to reinforce 
the things they are trying to do. And right. so the faster that you can identify what the game is trying to do, then the easier it will be for you to see those those points, those triggers of mechanics and 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 where they're pointing. Right. And that's that's where a lot of games kind of fall apart. Uh, is if they aren't really sure what to do with them. Yeah. I'm reminded of Bunnies and Burrows. Uh, the old, I think that's a 78 game. Uh, but you play as bunny rabbits in a warren and it's a little watership down, but it's not super clear what you're supposed to be doing in the game. It provides you with a whole bunch of combat rules for fighting as a bunny and then a whole bunch of rules for what kinds of animals might appear as you are outside for like a minute at a time. So what do you do? Like, where's the game? Yeah. And I think what... What really makes a game tick and work really well is if they can show you right away what the game is. Yeah. Which brings us really into the second phase of what I start to do when I'm reading for hacking. Okay. Um, at this point, I'm kind of I kind of start to to think about it. Kind of goes in two different ways. Okay. But the same thought process happens. Uh, regardless. Okay. And those two sort of divergent paths that you might follow. I'm doing a lot of hand gestures in this episode. A ton of hand gestures in this. <laughs> I also I do them a lot. I think when we normally podcast, but you don't. But I don't see, see them. it because we're. <laughs> I, I talk with my hands a lot. Yeah, this is one of the few times that James and I have been in the same room together while recording. Um, and so there are two paths, and they are either: Are you making a? Are you hacking a game? And right. you need some mechanic to bring into that game to reinforce the thing that you are trying to do, or. Are you looking to hack the game that you are reading and 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 change the way it's doing things? Right, yeah. And so the next step that I do is I go through the game again. I read through focusing exp- exclu- more exclusively on the mechanical sections. Not as much these sections on the, the story, the fluff, the experience points, that sort of thing. And right. what I'm trying, what I try to do is I try to identify tools. Okay. Because again, so obviously this isn't true of every game, and it feels a little bit like I'm watering things down here. Okay. But, but big picture, um, if you start to think about games as groups of tools, okay, then they you can kind of look at that tool set. And you can look at how they interact, and you can start to build a better picture of how those tools work. Okay. And 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 why they work. Right. And that will let you identify things that you can tweak, things that you can change and things that you can remove. Right. Absolutely. And, and there is an important flow through mechanics in a game that sometimes you can break but sometimes you can't. Mm-hmm. Like you can pull aspects out of fate and you could put them in another set in, into another game. Oh, I thought you were saying fate would still work without any aspects. No, 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 no. You could pull aspects out of fate and you could put them into D and D. Yes, definitely. But without the, the, the fate point economy to back them up, like they wouldn't do anything. They would just right. be descriptor words. Yeah. So that's not really a tool that you can pull out of fate and use somewhere else unless you have another, economy system that you could tie into it right so you could for example do something with um advantage mm-hmm. in D if yeah. it matches one of your aspects then you have advantage on that role yeah 
That might be a little too powerful, depending yeah. upon how yeah. broad you allow the aspects to yeah. be. Yeah. Or you could use if you have advantage, rather than getting a straight plus one on your roll, you could use it to trigger one of your aspects to change or establish a fact. Um, James, I thought you were reading D&D 5th edition. When you have advantage, you roll twice and take Whatever, the higher sorry. number. I haven't gotten that far in, maybe. <laughs> um, it, I think that's pretty near the beginning. Look, I'm skipping around a whole lot. Okay. <laughs> I'm, just, um, I'm just messing with you. Uh, and... And so that kind of that kind of that flow of how the mechanics relate to each other is important. This is where I start to think about. I think about sliders a lot. Okay. Um, I think about tools and statistics. Little tiny burgers. Once so once you've established the tool set, the things right. that the game does, the, the, the all of the different mechanics, and I like to sort of um, you could almost like mind map them. Okay. And say here's um here all here's how you attack, here's how you defend, here's how you cast magic, here's how you take this action, here's how you become intimate with someone, here's how you share your friendship. All of the things that you can do as a character. Right. And once you've done that, you can kind of begin to say, what if I did this? What if I what if like what if as you if you what if what if every time you failed in Dungeon World, you yeah. got two experience points? What would happen there? Like, would that cascade more? Would that prevent you? Would that slow you down? And I start to think about like, and I'm just I do run through these thought experiments of what if I tweaked little things here or there? Right. I'm not, I'm not thinking like big picture hacking yet. I'm just thinking what if I just sort of like adjust these sliders a little bit? Yeah. What if we set? What if what if everyone making a D and D character rolled sixty six and discarded one? You would have enormous ability scores. Yeah. And and what would that do? Well, how, right. would, how would games change? You would do certain things better. Certain things would not be affected by it. Um, and so, and, and once you can sort of start imagining tweaking the sort of um, control board of the game, uh, you can start to think about how shifting things, removing things... And and sort of increasing or decreasing things changes the way the game plays. Right. And through that, I'm beginning to sort of think about, like, I've spent time thinking about what what does the game designer want me to do? Mm-hmm. And or what is, it, what, is, what is the story we're trying to tell is the thing I talk about a lot. And and now I'm thinking about how can I change that and 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 how resilient is the system sometimes is a good right. question. Because something like... Um, like masks and, and most powered by the apocalypse world games where you have moves, there's not a lot there to tweak because you're you're I mean, I mean, that's not, not really true, but just sort of from an uh, from a very vague numerical system, there isn't a whole lot to tweak. You have a small set of abilities, but and you can change the way you gain experience points. But like because the moves are their their narrative, their words, there are right. a lot of numbers there. And so they are pretty resilient to change. Right, like saying, oh, stats can go up to plus four instead of plus three. Yeah, it'll just mean you succeed a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but that's not necessarily a good thing in, right, in, in, exactly. in Apocalypse World games, because you want those failures to do make make the story interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And so, that's, and so that is an important lesson you can learn from saying, okay, well, if I tweak these things in this way, then my character does better at all these things, and then suddenly all these cool, like, failure states don't... Yeah. They don't happen anymore. Right. And I do like those. So, okay, so... So why not make everyone worse? worse. So everyone fails all the time. And, and, and then so, we get to use the black gate move. Yeah. And that lets you start to say, okay, well, if I wanted a character who is a super-powered, he's super-powered, or they are super-powered. Right. 
Let me set that sentence over because I stumbled a whole bunch. So if you want to make a character who is super powered and feels really overpowering for whatever reason, right? you can say, well, all it takes is to tweak their, their stat up a little bit. And now they suddenly just stop failing. And if you want to play a game where you are sort of beleaguered survivors of an apocalypse, you could tweak the stats down a little bit. And suddenly now you're struggling a lot more. Yeah. And your characters are still having an interesting story in Apocalypse World because because failure isn't bad, it's just different and and they're not always in control of what's going on in the story anymore, but that's true. You can sort of play with that. Like if that's the effect you want to have, right. You can now know how to create it. And I mean there's also with an Apocalypse World sort of situation, you could also tweak the agenda mm-hmm. and get similar sorts of results. Uh if you change Dungeon Worlds, fill your characters' lives with danger to fill your characters' lives with hugs, then it's abruptly a very different game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you don't have to change any stats. No numbers have to change anywhere. You just know that the monsters are going to be hugging instead of fighting. So that also actually just kind of reminds me of, as you were saying, like whether you're looking to hack the game or use it to hack other games is kind of a big thing in this. Like you and I are reading 5th edition right now, and we are reading that primarily to hack it Mm -hmm. we are saying hey we're gonna be playing this without a gm we're gonna be playing this with potentially a (laughs) non-optimal number of players (laughs) we're gonna be playing this really really narrative uh but we're also gonna be playing this without a big adventure and instead doing individual encounters so reading that system we have to pay a little bit of attention going like oh this is a once a day power because it's very powerful do we need to play with that to make mm-hmm. it so that we don't go into the to every combat fully ready to just yeah. nuke everything? Or, I mean, the, the flip side of that is we sort of had said, so um, the flip side of that is we had said that in a no, in a normal adventure where you're playing through story stuff, you have, an, you have a sort of timeline that flows. Yeah. And there are gaps between your fights. Where sometimes there are gaps between your fights and sometimes there aren't. And so sometimes you have chances to heal. But we're not really playing for this podcast. We're not planning on playing those story beats. Yeah. So that don't that exist between the combats. We're just doing the combats. Right. So if we just sort of say every every episode we start, you go in full health. Does that really does that break the game? Does does the game expect you to start going into combats with less health? Do we need to account for that? Yeah. And, or can we play with that? Yeah, and there's there's some definitely, definitely some big questions in with that. On the other hand, if you're reading just to take a system out, mm-hmm. then it's a very different experience. I right now have on my list of things to do, read Knight's Black Agents. Yeah. Uh, not because I want to play it, because having heard what I've heard about it, it doesn't sound exactly like my kind of game, and the setting doesn't super grab me, and yeah. that's okay. But it sounds like it has a cherries system that is really, really good and potentially very, mm-hmm. very useful for Pasión dos Pasiones. Yeah. And I, I've got like five systems that I want to read about that the only thing I really care about from it is its scene framing. Yeah. And that's also okay, because I need a scene framing device. Yeah, and so and, and that is a good example of you could read through that game mm-hmm. and you would identify all the different things that happen and scene framing is a thing that, that happens. It's yeah. a tool that the, the game creators give to the GM to do things with. And but it, 
it may be hopefully for your for your okay. case <laughs> isn't tied into too many other mechanics yeah and and then you could pull it out yeah i mean because uh, i haven't read knights black agents but we we've just been talking about noir world a whole ton recently yeah that's got some and, really and solid scene has, framing that has a scene framing element that isn't necessarily tied up in everything yeah you lay out places and you play those places once for every you go through them all once um and um let's go back and i'm gonna say so you lay out a bunch of places and you try to pl- and you're playing through all those different places um during the course of the game and that isn't tied into the rest of the mechanics necessarily and so it is a tool you could pull out and use somewhere else and just like that makes sense in a noir movie because there's only a certain number of sets it also makes sense in a telenovela because there's only a certain amount of sets Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and so and so thinking about those 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 the tools that the game developer is giving you Mm -hmm. the game author is giving you and how you can tweak them and sort of mentally playing with that and seeing what happens is the way you can kind of see how how things can be removed. If you add extra skills, like Cypher starts you with might, speed, and intellect as their sort of three main stats right. that are the attributes of their character. And so thinking about things like, well, what if you added a fourth stat? What would that do? And probably wouldn't cause too many problems. So then I'm starting to think, what if you changed, like, what if you added a whole lot of stats? What if I removed all of the stats? Uh, those would that would definitely change the play of the game. Um, I've talked a little bit about. Uh, I've been and and I think we're going to do an episode on this. Um, I've been thinking about Mistborn. Okay, because sort of down the road that's by uh, that's a fantasy book by Brandon Sanderson that everybody should read. It's phenomenal. I've been thinking about um, how to play that in a pen and paper game. Yeah, world. that'd be fun. And so I started thinking about the pool system of of your statistics. The pools of your abilities in Cypher. Right. And and could those correlate to your medals in Ooh. Mistborn? And that was something that Troy and I talked about today on Twitter, yeah. actually. And and so you would definitely have Mistborn characters who had a huge list of of, of abilities. Yeah. And you'd have the like one the pewter power arm. The pewter arm guys yeah. who would just have one stat. Yeah. And then and can you still play the game like that? And interesting. And because that mechanic of having a pool that you spend points on yeah. from to do actions and bolster those actions does feel a little bit like the Mistborn system. Definitely. Which was one of the things, because we've been talking about how to play Mistborn in a pen and paper game forever. And so that was <laughs> and we don't want to use the Mist, the official Mistborn game that we um, know exists. Uh, and <laughs> and so the the pool system and, 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 and the way that you build characters sort of was what attracted me to Cypher. Because it felt a little bit like maybe it would be appropriate for yeah. playing Mistborn. And, and and I don't know. I, I have to sort of spend some more time thinking about that because yeah. that was a conversation that Troy and I had today. Um, <laughs> and I think that like sort of my gut says maybe you still need some kind of like physical and mental and, and speed abilities to yeah. let you do things that aren't your powers. But maybe you can have a second set of abilities. Yeah. That like, are just your powers. If you are if you are if you're changing people's emotions. Mm-hmm. It'd be awful nice if you could also pick something up. Yeah. Or do you just say in, in a Mistborn game, it's not imp- like characters yeah. don't not pick things up. That's they true. pick things up. Uh, and and the only things that it's interesting for them to fail are when they're trying to make themselves stronger to defend or when they're trying to push to fl- off metal to fly. Pick something very large up. Pick something very large up. Yeah. Um, and so... 
that's where like that's sort of the end result of tweaking these things of I'm I obviously have a goal I'm either trying to pull that that mechanic out or I'm trying to tweak it to make the system do something different and so can I kind of start tweaking it towards that thing that I'm trying right. to do yeah and 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 sometimes it's easier like adding and subtracting abilities or attributes is not that hard mm-hmm writing and adding extra moves to a playbook in uh, in masks might be a little bit more difficult at least at first yeah i was gonna say that's something that's a matter of a little bit of matter of system mastery yeah. um because making up moves on the fly is actually something that can be really helpful in yeah. some hard by the apocalypse games i might argue that it's still a little easier to go that four is now a five okay yeah that, that is pretty easy <laughs> um, just because that's really easy yeah I guess the other thing I said, and I kind of touched on this a little bit, was then I start to think about what if, what if I took those attribute pools and what if I took them out right. of, of Cypher and I put them in some other game and I didn't call them attributes. Maybe they were just Mistborn magic metal, like whatever, whatever your magic pool is. Um, your, your, your metal stores is the, yeah. the word they use. And and I put that in Fate, or I put that in D&D. Could that system exist by itself in isolation? Okay, interesting. Um, because it's kind of the opposite of just tweaking things in the game. Yeah. Um, and, like, can can you pull that out? Like, because I said, like, Fate aspects you probably can't without the rest of them, without the rest of the economy. Um, but maybe f- pools... Pulled out. I'm actually looking because again, I'm I'm looking for a good pool attribute pool system. Okay. I, I had read a little bit of the Gumshoe Knights Black Agent system for that yeah. because they do a similar pool system, and I'm sort of just like I, I haven't found the perfect pool system for Mistborn because I've just been searching forever for the best system for this. Um, and also that's an especially great thing for us to work on because it's something we can never publish. Yeah. Yeah. You know. No, but we we're big proponents of fan publishing. Actually, yeah, so just, piracy. It's that is that is the opposite of piracy. <laughs> it's creating something and giving yeah. it to people. Value add. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's called. Um, and honestly, anytime that you're reading books, you are becoming a better game designer. Yeah, because the first time you read a, a role playing game book, you have nothing to compare it to. You're kind of going like. Oh, I guess this is how they do things. The way you play role-playing game is you roll a d20, and if it's greater than 15, then it's successful. And you've got nothing to compare it to. Yeah. But as you start to really diversify what you're reading, you can start to get really good at seeing what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would even argue that people should be reading things outside of what they standardly run. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to talk a lot more about this two weeks from now. But I'm a huge fan of reading modules mm-hmm. from, like, OSR stuff. And it's not because I like OSR stuff especially, but it's because there's a lot of wisdom that you can grab from that for my, you know, light storytelling mm-hmm. Dungeon World games. Uh, but by reading that thing, those other things, it makes me a better GM mm-hmm. and it makes me a better game designer. And I think I think some of that is true because even if even if like going back to sort of the the very first thing I said of trying to identify what the game designer was trying to do yeah. and how they execute it and just sort of seeing as many different game authors trying to do something and then executing it mm-hmm. as you can will show you even if they're maybe even especially if they're all sort of um, 
OSR games, and they're all sort of generally trying to do the same thing, but they're executing from slightly different angles. Yeah. That will show you how you can approach the same concept from many different things so that when you shift it to the concept that you're trying to do, you can see all the different sort of maybe you can apply some of those different angles to the way that you are doing it and and come at your own problem from a different from from a different attack vector. And it lets you look at it lets you look at things if you want a specific feature of your game. If you have decided you don't want a GM in your game, uh, if you've read everything is John, then it's like okay, cool, I know how to do a GMless game. Yeah. If you've read everything is John and Fiasco, you know even more. If you've read everything yeah. is John, Fiasco, Noir World, uh, birds are amazing, reflections, uh, just like you know, the more you read, mm-hmm. the better you're able to choose exactly the system that you need to have to make your game as good as it could possibly be. Because if if games are tool sets yeah. that the designer has given you, then that tool set can only be as broad as the tool set the game designer had available for them. Absolutely. So you always want to be going in, reading games, identifying their tools, seeing the way they do things, and expanding your own personal tool set so that when you are sitting down with a game and you go, oh, I needed to do this. If only I knew how. And you you have those tools in your repertoire to pull in and and tweak the game and hack the game to tell the story that you want to do. Or you could just do lasers and feelings. That too, yeah. Lasers and feelings can do pretty much anything. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> I, I read a whole bunch of really good lasers and feelings hacks this There's weekend. There's so many good ones. There's so many good ones. <laughs> um, the other thing I'll say is that there is... Uh, so we, we've been talking about... Um, I've been talking, I've been rambling for like an hour now about... Um, about reading game books for the first time. Thinking about hacking as you're doing that. But I think that there is something important about going back to old books you've read before, yeah. games that you're familiar with, and rereading them as though they were a new book, because you'll pick up different things. Absolutely. And like a specific example of that is I've been, because I've been, <laughs> talk about all my weird fascinations with game design, I've become highly fascinated with the physical mechanics of how you do things in games, and using those to to mirror form and and story so like there is something that's very different about rolling a, a d20 to rolling a pool of dice right you D&D versus use, shadow run yeah you have to use two hands you have to have a whole bunch of dice you have to sort those dice out okay and that feels different than having a pen and paper and just like check boxing things in in power by the apocalypse yeah which feels different than pulling a, a Jenga piece out when you're playing mm-hmm. Dread. And and so those sort of tactile responses and te- okay. and, the, and those those ways that you do things, because a lot of what I'm trying to do now in my sort of poor game design is, uh, is mirror the tactile experiences that the characters are having with the way the game, the player is playing the game. Okay. In, into, in maybe a minor way. Just, like, set up a bunch of uh, Jenga towers and play Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's the way to do it. Um, But maybe... Yeah, I don't know. You know, you started this podcast being all like, I don't know about LARP. I'm not really feeling LARP. I don't really (laughs) want to do LARP. The more you talk about games, the more it sounds like you want to LARP. 
Uh, no, because I, I don't want <laughs> you to... You want to mirror the tactile experience yeah. without standing up. Yeah. I just want to find... <laughs> I don't want players to have to actually sit in a physical spaceship console. I just want to find the series of actions that a player could do at a table that feels the most like Han Solo flipping a whole bunch of switches and then punching it. Yeah. Okay, fair. But but maybe you're right. Maybe I am. Like, kind of sounds I think like that we can, I think we can find a middle ground, and and it's just sort of this weird. Uh, these are the windmills. <laughs> the windmills I'm tilting at recently. Okay. Okay. Um. And that's really that's like that's reading that's reading books for the first time with hacking in mind. And you know what? There's actually also some opportunities that you can read lots and lots and lots of books. Um, I think still going on will be the I think the 200 word RPG contest will still be going on when this episode drops but it will be coming towards an end if you're looking for a way to quickly write an RPG and just kind of put it out there so that you have written a thing mm-hmm. that's a great way to do it and also all of the past winners are available online yeah for free so you can go and read you know 200 words that's so quick yeah and then you've read a new RPG and that might change how you look at games on things like drive through rpg you can get mm-hmm. um tons of collections of small games yes like for example two weeks which is a game collection that was sort of facilitated by dan a friend of the show um and and that i wrote a game for <laughs> that used a goofy you're so uh, subtle <laughs> that used a, i forgot that i wrote a game for that uh that uh that used a foldable dinosaur mechanic for the character sheet. It's pretty adorable. <laughs> and, I can't wait to play that game, actually. Um, and and so and, and those are great ways to pick up games. And, and, and oftentimes, those small games, they yeah. don't have the luxury of building a... Like, how long is the Cypher book? Oof, like it's 400 pages, 380? 300 pages, 410 pages. They don't have 410 pages to build up an array of mechanics. Yeah. They've got to nail it quickly and then get out. Yeah. And so, like... That's it's very. I, I used jacks as a as a mechanic. Um, I've talked about using pickup sticks as a mechanic. Um, shooting stars. Yeah. Some, uh, games use what's the um, what's the driving game? Ribbon Drive. Ribbon Drive uses the a playlist as a mechanic, and all Ribbon of those, Drive is super cool. Those things, those cool games that use have like cool short games that have one punchy mechanic yeah are really great for adding more things to your repertoire yeah absolutely and i think that more or less wraps up our discussion of reading games with hacking in mind yeah uh, i thought that was an interesting one that was kind of fun Go yeah through. and i know that uh in the little bits and pieces i started talking to to troy and darcy troy about, and darcy are two fantastic game people uh, they run the Cypher Speak podcast, which is a podcast uh, all about the Cypher system. And it's really pretty excellent. Yeah. And each of them also have their own RPG projects. And I will specifically cool. say that's Troy Pitchelman, who yes. I believe is even a Patreon backer. So you probably heard his name before. And Darcy Ross. And we'll put their uh, their Twitter handles in our show notes so you can get, you can look them up and uh, I'll, whatever we'll link to their show because yeah. it's great. <laughs> um, it's a fantastic show. And, and so it's I, so I was talking to them about reading, and they were they were and they were they were sort of. I was talking to them about my first reads of Cipher System because they're kind of experts yeah. in that. And 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 so it was an interesting conversation that started. And so I'm and 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 they did not necessarily think about reading games the way for the first time the way that I do. Yeah. And that was very interesting because 
I liked to hear the way that they read games, yeah. and I want to hear the way that everyone else reads games. So yeah, so if you've come and talk to read us. a game recently that really just blew your mind open, let yeah. us know. Reflections it, did that for me recently. Did it? That that system. Ugh. I need to hack that. I love it. It's so interesting. It's so weird. It's so cool. As I said before, if I hacked half as many games as I threatened to hack. I would be the most prolific one of the game, most designer. Prolific game designer there is. Um, um, Who can do the reflections hack of you trying to actually hack games that you threaten to no, hack? No, it's, 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 it's reflections where one of the players is Jim McClure and the other player is the game reflections. There's Jim McClure actually has a phenomenal story about someone trying to get a copy of Reflections before it came out in order to use on a date. Yeah. And that is the best potential Reflections <laughs> hack of all time. Yeah. Um, and so, as always, the best place to come and talk to us about all those things is probably Twitter, mm-hmm. um, where you can find us together at Stop, Hack, and Roll, or me personally at and the meltdowns and i'm at dr captain cobalt we also are pretty active i've been less active recently because my job's been keeping me a little busy um at our discord channel which can be found at uh tinyurl.com slash shr discord if you want to just read about us or things we've done in the past um some of the links to some of the games that we have created uh, you can check out our website, which is stophackandroll.com. You can also email us. And in the past, I've said not to email me, but I now have email forwarding set up. So feel free to at Brandon or James at stophackandroll.com. And we do all of these things every two weeks and in between on all the different places we do them. Thanks to you, the people who back us on Patreon. People like Rob Abrazado, Robert Kosick. Nick Clark, Riverhouse Games, Troy Pitchelman, my friend Ryan, Declan Chadbourne, Stephen Mitchell, V. Brower, Blake Ryan, and Rob Harvey. So if you would like to support us in, a, in this show and all of our future shows, you can find us at patreon.com slash stophackandroll. And you can back us for as little amount as you want. Every little bit helps. We are a totally like everything that we do now is basically funded by Patreon. I don't pay for the hosting anymore. That's all supported by you guys. If you can't support us financially, that's fine. Not everyone is in a position to do that, but there are many other ways that you can help support the community. The easiest of which is just by being in the community. Yes. Come and talk to us. Um, but another way you can do it is go to iTunes and give us a rating. Give us five stars. Give us four stars. Maybe give us three stars, but give us five stars. And write something about how great this podcast is. Uh, they'll sound more truthful than the hollow self-reviews I gave us um, to boost our <laughs> rating. And it will help other people follow. I didn't do any of that. Don't take us off iTunes. I love Stop, Hack, and Roll. My name is not James. Um, and, and it'll help people find us. And even if you, and actually the best way for other people to find us is if you literally hand the pot, your iPod with our podcast loaded onto it to another person and give them your headphones. <laughs> you did it, James. You found the most awkward way to describe this section. Yes. Um, 
And so all of those things help support the podcast. Uh, we are so thankful for you, uh, our listeners who put up with all of my shenanigans. I can't handle it anymore. I'm done. I have to be done with the show. Okay, so... Uh, ugh. So as you lift a 900-page tome onto your lap and open it up looking for the 200 words that you're going to drag out for your own game, don't forget to stop, hack, and roll. The instant I start recording, I become one of those spaghetti-waving car dealership guys. Um, I'm doing some quick Googling right here off of the side. I'm not seeing that Earth 747 is anything. Yeah, I I looked it up ahead of time. Yeah, 616 is the regular Earth. Which is weird. You would have thought they would have gone with one. Well, why would it be one? That would be such a weird coincidence.